We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. Dear friend, welcome to the program. I'm glad you can join me today. The persecution of Christians is on the rise around the world. There are varied reasons for this, and to discover these reasons, we are considering the life of Jesus. He was persecuted and finally martyred. He was a loving, benevolent human being. He brought peace and goodwill towards men, yet he was hated by many and persecuted. The reasons for Jesus being persecuted are the same reasons why people are being persecuted today. Thank you for joining me as I present part two of Jesus, More Than a Martyr. From our previous program, we have learned that people rise up in persecution against others because the lives of God's true people, that is their words and actions, testify that the works of the world are evil. They may be labeled all kinds of things like straight-laced or a goody two-shoes or even holier than thou. Whatever the label or the accusations, the insinuation is clear that these people are bad for society and bad for their community. We read in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 15 that he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Now you may say to me that many of these people are merely pharisaical. And there may be some truth to this in some instances. But what I want you to consider is the true essence of persecution. Persecuted people may just be going about their own business not hurting anyone simply living a godly life and living according to the dictates of their conscience, living up to their understanding of right and their duty to God and man. They may simply be preaching the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ alone, and yet they will be targeted by the very people whom they wish to benefit. In the previous program, we saw this in the story of Cain and Abel. We also read about this in the words of Jesus in John chapter 7 and verse 1. The Jews were seeking to kill Jesus. And in verse 7, Jesus said to them, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. When a good example is combined with self-denial and humility, many people seem to feel uncomfortable with it. They will trumpet the praises of a rock star or a movie star but to praise a self-denying person goes contrary to their own ambitions and aspirations so why was there such hostility towards Jesus and why is there such hostility towards God's people why is there persecution Romans chapter 8 and verse 7 tells us because our natural state is inherently hostile towards God 
we are not subject to the law of God's kingdom. And because we have swapped allegiances, it is impossible for us to be in submission to God's holy law. How can a person with an egocentric nature make himself subject to a law of selfless love, not only in deed, but in his inmost thoughts and feelings? Only Jesus can help to meet the standard of selfless love or others-centered love. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, in previous programs, we learned that the mission of Jesus was not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Although persecuted by many of the people he came to save, Jesus was still known as the Savior of the world. As we read in John 4 verse 42 and 1 John 4 verse 14, Jesus' rescue mission was to seek and save the lost, those who had been taken captive by the deceptions of Satan. The shocking aspect of Jesus' story is that the persecution was generated by a group of people who had apparently signed up to support the same mission as the Son of God had embarked on. Now, how is it possible that those who claim to be on the same side that is on God's side and part of the same religious body, the ones that look for the Messiah, would end up turning on the Messiah? It is astounding that those who claim to be people of God would end up persecuting the Savior and ultimately hand Him over to be tortured and killed by means of persecution. Let's review the story of Cain and Abel again. Cain and Abel represent two types of worshippers. On the surface, they appear to be similar. Both acknowledge God is worthy of their worship and they both claim that they worship the same true God. Both also bring a sacrifice to the worship service. But here are the differences. One acted by faith, the other one didn't. One sought the will of God, the other didn't. One looked for the lawgiver for direction and seek to know his will. The other decided what he could do in regards to approaching God according to his own ideas. In other words, he made the rules. He was a lawmaker of his own making. One was obedient, the other was not. As we stated last time, Cain had only swapped allegiances on paper. The story of Cain and Abel demonstrates the principles of persecution that manifest itself even amongst worshippers of God. This is the same reason why we continue to see persecution from religious people on other religious people. Now this can be confusing to see, but don't assume for a moment that persecutors are the people of God, even if their names are on the books of the church. They, like Cain, have only swapped allegiances on paper. In heart, they are as evil and as murderous as their real master. 
Jesus addressed those who claimed to be God's people, claiming descent from Abraham as a means to justify their actions, and this while they were plotting to kill Jesus. We read in John chapter 8 from verse 39, Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who had told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And that was verse 41. And in verse 44 of John chapter 8, Jesus clearly states who their real father was. Jesus also gave evidence for making this emphatic statement. He says, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. And Jesus also said that he is also the father of lies. People who persecute other people and claim to be God's people will exhibit the same character traits as the devil. They will have murderous intent and they will lie and turn on God's people in the same way that they turned on the Son of God. Jesus was God from all eternity. When He came to earth, Jesus took the form of a man. He did not look like God, but His works testified of His divinity, as did the prophecies of the Bible also. John chapter 5 verse 18 says, So Jesus came to his own and his own sought to kill him. Why? Because he did a benevolent deed on the Sabbath by healing a man who had been suffering under the curse of this disease for many, many years. The Bible says that after this incident, Jesus withdrew from that region and went to Galilee. Because he was hounded by these people, because he was persecuted, he could no longer openly exercise his ministry there. Jesus did not follow the traditions of the religious establishment. He showed no regard for their so-called holy tradition or their man-made Sabbath laws. Jesus made a clear distinction between God's Sabbath commandment and the commandments and traditions of men between God-inspired laws and man-made laws and traditions. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus used the authority of the Old Testament to demonstrate his point. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 9, where he says, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7 and verse 8, we read the same bit of information, but with more emphasis. And it says there in verse 8, For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you will do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandments of God, that you may keep your tradition." The Jewish leaders accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath commandment. And it looks like we have learned nothing from this history. Because would you believe it? Some leaders are still doing the same even in our day. Now in a recent debate regarding the Sabbath between Doug Batchelor and Steve Gregg, Steve Gregg 
quoted John chapter 5 verse 18 to say that Jesus was a Sabbath breaker and that he was not a keeper of the fourth commandment of the moral code of ten commandments. Now let's read John chapter 5 and verse 18 and see what it says. Therefore the Jewish leaders all the more sought to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Steve Gregg quoted this text and then said that Jesus had no regard for the fourth commandment, which is the seventh-day Sabbath commandment of the moral law. Is this not exactly the same accusation that the religious leaders heaped against Jesus back in their day? The enmity and opposition to Jesus and his teachings and his godly example is the same today, and this opposition is just as prevalent as it was 2,000 years ago. Let's address this accusation heaped against Christ by some of the religious leaders of old and some of the religious leaders even of our day. Did Jesus really break the fourth commandment in regards to keeping the Sabbath day holy? John 5 tells the story of a paralyzed man who had been suffering under a condition that had paralyzed him for 38 years. He had been lying at the pool of Bethesda hoping for a miraculous cure. Jesus comes and asks the man, do you want to be made well? Then Jesus says to him in verse 6, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. This act of healing this man was done on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees took issue with it. Why? Because it violated their holy tradition and man-made Sabbath laws. Was this an immoral act on the part of Jesus to heal this man? Did Jesus break the Ten Commandments and specifically the Fourth Commandment in doing this benevolent act? Well, it is evident that some of the leading Jews thought so, and apparently some of the Leaders and thought leaders of our day, like Steve Greggs, believes the same. We read in John chapter 5 and verse 16, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done this thing, that is healing this man, on the Sabbath. Now the question needs to be asked, did Jesus sin in healing this man? Dear listener, what do you think? Did Jesus do something good or something bad? In healing this man? Is the moral law of Ten Commandments against good deeds? Is the Sabbath commandment against doing good on the seventh day of the week? Yes, and Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, regarding the law, it says, The law is holy, and the commandments holy, and just, and good. Paul addresses this issue further in 1 Timothy chapter 1, reading from verse 8 and 2 verse 10. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. We would suggest there would be a way to unlawfully or illegally use the law. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. We learn from this passage that the moral code of Ten Commandments is not against good deeds. 
it is against murderers and liars amongst other things. So these people called Jesus a lawbreaker while they had murderous intentions towards him. They were also willing to lie, and we will see this aspect in their behavior a little shortly. To shut Jesus down and to get him out of the way, they were prepared to, to perjure themselves. These people were using the law unlawfully to condemn an innocent man. The law had not been given to stifle good deeds or to condemn good deeds. The law had not been given to condemn acts of love and compassion. The Apostle Paul, who is the greatest contributor to the New Testament, said the following in Romans chapter 13 and verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Did Jesus not fulfill the law in healing this man? Did Jesus not show this man love and compassion in healing him of his affliction that he had suffered under for 38 long years? Is it possible that Jesus had sinned in doing this act of healing? Well, some of the religious leaders thought so and accused Jesus of being a sinner by breaking the Sabbath commandment. And you may ask, what is sin anyway? What does the Bible say is sin? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 says the following, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. The Jews said that Jesus was a sinner, meaning that he had transgressed the law. But we read in John chapter 9 and verse 16, Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. So some of the members of the church of that time defended Jesus. They were loyal to God and His Word and did not allow prejudice which stemmed from holy tradition to affect their judgment. Jesus also defended Himself against this accusation of being a sinner. We catch Jesus' words in John chapter 8 and verse 46 where He says, Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Matthew chapter 12 from verse 9 to 14, we have this whole issue cleared up regarding their accusation of Jesus breaking the Sabbath. Now we read, starting in verse 9 of Matthew 12, Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. The Pharisees plotted against Jesus. They wanted to destroy him. 
Yet, when confronted with this facts, the Pharisee lied about it. They denied it. And we read in John chapter 7 from verse 18 to verse 20 that they accused Jesus of breaking the law and Jesus called them on the fact that they themselves were not keeping the law because they were seeking to kill him. And we read from verse 18, John chapter 7 verse 18, He who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? So they blatantly denied this, the fact that they wanted to kill Jesus, and said Jesus was deluded and demon-possessed. But what do other witnesses say about their denial of wanting to kill Jesus after they denied it in John chapter 7 and verse 20? And a few verses later, we're in John chapter 7 verse 25 now. People from Jerusalem confirmed their murderous intent by asking, Is this not the one whom they seek to kill? Let's read it. Verse 25. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? And then we are told again in John chapter 7 and verse 30 that they wanted to kill him and looked for opportunity. Jesus again showed awareness of their desire to kill him. In John chapter 8 and verse 40, he says, You seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth. Now listen to their answer. They answered and said to him, Abraham is your father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Another incident where the Pharisees wanted to take the law into their own hands and grab stones to kill Jesus is found in John chapter 8 and verse 58 and 59 because Jesus called himself the I Am, which is the name of God in the Old Testament. The I Am is the one that uh, presented himself to Moses at the burning bush because Jesus said that he is God, he is the I Am. And another time the Jews tried to stone Jesus again for saying that God was his father. And we find this in John chapter 10 verse 31. And we read, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have done from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy and because you, being a man, Make yourself God. Jesus demonstrated that he was divine when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And just before he raised Lazarus, Jesus said of himself in John chapter 11 and verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That is, never die the second death. How did the Jewish leaders respond to the resurrection of Lazarus by Jesus? John chapter 11, verse 45 to 54, we read that they were now working on a definite plan to kill Jesus. They moved from looking for an opportunity to laying a definite plot. More than that, they were actually planning to remove the evidence. See, Lazarus was exhibit A and that Jesus was divine 
and uh, was demonstrated by the fact that Lazarus, who was dead, was now alive, they decided that they would kill Lazarus as well. Reading in John chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Now I'm going to read from Luke chapter 22, and I just want to read the first six verses there. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas. So who's behind this whole plot against Jesus? Who's behind this whole plot from these evil men? The devil is is the one that's driving this. And of course, they're evil natures as well. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he may betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him when in the absence of the multitude, because, of course, they feared the multitude. Now, did every one of the leaders reject Jesus? John chapter 12, verse 37 says that Jesus did many signs, enough to convince them, and still they did not believe. However, in John chapter 12 and verse 42, we read that some of the rulers believed. Now, if they believed... Why did these believers not affirm their belief in Jesus openly? Well, the following verse, John chapter 12, verse 43, tells us that they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. You know, there are two great commandments that are mentioned in the Bible. And which one comes first? Well, let's read it. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40, we read, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, that is love to God and love to your fellow man, love to your neighbor, hang all the law and the prophets. If we love the praise of men more than the praise of God, we are not placing the first great commandment first. We are placing the second commandment first, which is the use of the law in an unlawful way. Dear listener, thank you for joining me on the program today. I'm glad you could join me. We have just completed part two of Jesus More Than a Martyr. Join me next time as we conclude this mini-series of this three-part program of Jesus More Than a Martyr. God bless until then. Thank you for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you'd like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you.